Well, Father, what a joy it is that we can come together with your people and study your word and discern your will for our lives. I thank you for the, the time we got to praise you in song. And Lord, as we sit under your word, I pray that our, our spirits will be drawn to you. Uh, pray that this message will be convicting when necessary, encouraging to those who need it. In, in Christ's name, amen. Well, one of the uh, most resonant um, questions in all of Scripture is the question, how long, O Lord? You guys ever ask that question, how long, O Lord? It's the, the cry of a righteous man or woman who's living in an unjust society. Right? And I think sometimes we, we kind of look around and we think, how long, O Lord, when you see people up in arms and getting militant about the right to kill unborn life. Those who um, view Christians at this, as the bad guys for warning them of the wrath to come or promoting God's design for the family. It's the cry of those who are sensing an increased energy to try to marginalize and oppress and disregard Christians. But we're not alone in that cry. I, I think about the prophet Jeremiah. You guys know the life arc of Jeremiah? He was preaching to people who never wanted to hear it. He wrote down the words of a prophecy, presented it to the king, and you know what the king did with it? Burned it with fire. The king did not like the message that he gave, and so he put him in an empty cistern. When he was told by, when Jeremiah told the Israelites do not seek refuge in Egypt. They went anyway and took him along with them. And so the whole time, God's discipline was placed upon uh, a rebellious kingdom. And who paid the price? Well, Jeremiah paid the price with them, even though he was a righteous man. Well, in the text today, we're going to see two such Jeremiahs. There were righteous people who had the misfortune of being a part of a disobedient nation, and as a result, they, they suffered much. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse uh, 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. 
And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and, and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to, of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now in this passage, you see two patient prophets who are waiting for the, the consolation of Israel they lived in a compromised society where they were under the rule of a pagan emperor who appointed a pagan king who posed as a Jew. There are Romans at every turn, and there are different reactions to this reality in the society. There are some who chose to assassinate, resorted to terrorism as a way of trying to kick out the Romans and deal with this unpleasant experience. Others uh, decided to isolate. They'd hide out in the wilderness and took on a monastic life. And still others would collaborate. If you can't beat them, join them. They would be in league with the Romans and use their power to basically sustain their own power. But in this case, you have two righteous souls who chose to, to wait. They chose to be patient. Patient not in the sense of they were trying not to lose their temper, but patient in the sense that they were trying to not to lose, to lose hope. They lived under oppression. They suffered because of the sins of others. Right? You think about the Ukrainian Christian right now who is suffering much because of the sins of a foreign dictator. You look at those people who may not be suffering because of a corrupt government, but because of the, the sin of Adam. They cry out, how long, O Lord? They cry out, thy kingdom come. It's the cry of an infertile wife who longs to raise a child of her own. And she looks around at all these women who want to abort their children, or perhaps unmarried mothers who don't really know how to raise their children. And she thinks to herself, why do they get a baby and I don't? How long, O oh Lord, is the, the cry of a father or mother who has a rebellious son or, or daughter who's tortured by, the, um, by a son who chooses destruction over discernment? How long, O oh Lord, is the cry of a single woman or man who longs to be married but can't seem to find a, a willing partner? And has asked a lot of people, and they keep on saying no. Or is the cry of a tortured body who experiences the pain of arthritis, migraines. I mean, you, you name it. 
Life is just not normal, and they long for a day where they just feel well. And in all of that, I mean, we, we have different choices to make, don't we? Right? How do you deal with the question, how long, O oh Lord? Did you try to take matters into your own hands? Maybe resort to, to activism to try to change the society to your taste. Uh, perhaps go on a quixotic quest to try to find somebody who can cure this illness or deal with this problem. Well, Simon and Anna are, are two righteous people who kind of understood that a lot of this wasn't really in their control. They chose to, to wait. They were two patient prophets. They weren't well-connected. They weren't people of means or stature. They were devoted, they prayed, and they waited. And the Lord rewarded their faith. See, ultimately, you know, we do live in a fallen and broken world. We do cry out, how long, O Lord? And sometimes you keep crying out, and you're still in the same situation. So how do you maintain patience in the midst of all that? Well, we have two examples in Simon, or Simeon, the first patient prophet, and Anna, the second patient prophet. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at how they waited. We're going to see what they waited for. And then we're going to reflect on some lessons for us so that if you're asking that question, how long, O Lord, and you may not be asking it right now because life's pretty good. But when you ask that question, how do you wait in patience? And before we get too far, I want to maybe set up the narrative a little bit. A lot of this narrative is constructed to show that Jesus is truly the righteous king, that there was nothing to disqualify him. His parents were righteous, devoted, and they made sure they obeyed all the precepts of the law. Starting in verse 22, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And so last week, we read about the circumcision, right? Where after eight days, they, they circumcised Jesus in Bethlehem. And now they travel to Jerusalem for three other ceremonies. One of them is the purification of Mary. It was commanded in the law of the Lord that if you were to give birth to a baby boy, you were unclean until you went through this ritual purification for 40 days. And so that was uh, completed with a sacrifice. In this case, it was two turtle doves or two young pigeons, which is a sign that they didn't have a lot of money. Secondly, there was another uh, ritual they engaged in, which was the dedication of the firstborn son. After, uh, when the Passover was about to commence in Exodus 13, there was a law given that you had to redeem your firstborn son with another sacrifice. And then they followed the path of Hannah, who dedicated her son Samuel in 1 uh, Samuel uh, chapter 1 and 2, where they were to dedicate Jesus to Christian service. So in all of this, you see that they were very intentional about going to the temple and fulfilling all of these obligations given, on, given to them by, by the Lord. And, and as they do so, they encounter the first patient process, prophet, uh, Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he had not seen death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now look at the word consolation, right? It is to console, it is to bring comfort. Israel was very disobedient, and because of their disobedience, they were under the discipline of the Lord. And there was a hope that one day the discipline would be over and it would be replaced by consolation. Isaiah 41 through 2, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her all her sins. Right? Israel was a country that was often chastened by the Lord and disciplined by the Lord. We had an interesting conversation over dinner a few nights ago about how nice it is that we don't have to spank our children anymore. Right? We gave up our, that practice a couple months ago and it's been great. <laughs> My youngest is 14, that's why people laughed. But it was kind of a, an odd custom we would go into the red bathroom. Uh, we actually painted over it because it was giving our kids PTSD. It wasn't that bad. But. So you go there and you would explain why you're here, right? You have sinned. And we would discipline them, not with a rod, nothing illegal here. And then afterwards, we would give them consolation and we'd give them a hug. And, and that was... Uh, kind of a, a symbol that the punishment is over, no more spankings are coming your way, and it was a sign that the relationship has now been restored. And so Israel is being disciplined by the Lord, and Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel when the Lord will embrace them again in a reconciled way and say the discipline is over. He knew that all was not right in the land. Everyone could. I mean, every time he saw a Roman soldier, something was not right in the land. And there are all kinds of ways that people try to deal with this. I'll give you four words. Isolate, assimilate, collaborate, and pontificate. Those were the four reactions. One was to isolate. The Essenes those were the ones responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls, decided to just live out in the desert and just get away from it all and wait for the Lord to just fix it. Then you have the, I'm sorry, the, the assassinate, not, I misread my own word here, very different from assimilate, assassinate, <laughs> which is what the zealots would do. You know, they would, with a dagger, uh, try to kill off certain enemies of, of what they viewed as the state. Then he had the collaborators, the Sadducees. They basically were in league with the Romans, and Herod would actually appoint the high priest. They were the power brokers who basically ran the institutional church. And then you had those who would pontificate, the, the Pharisees. They were the people's pastor, and they thought that by pointing out other people's sin and helping them to live righteously, that there would be a revival in Israel but there was an irony as they were focused on other people's sin, pontificating about what they needed to do. They were blind to their own self-righteousness and their need to repent. 
But Simeon does not choose any of these paths. As far as we know, he wasn't a priest, wasn't a Levite, had no official capacity. He was a prophet who decided to live near the temple so that he can fulfill a personal prophecy given to him that he would not die until he saw the Christ. And as he's waiting to see the Christ, what does he do with this time? Well, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was defined by living a pious and righteous life. He was devoted to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, can you imagine that's a great prophecy to have on you, by the way? You are going to live until you see the Lord's Christ. And, and so every day, you would get up and think, maybe today is the day. But it wasn't the day. Well, maybe tomorrow. Maybe the day after. And what's interesting is he is still in the vicinity putting himself in prime position to try to find the Lord's Christ. And we don't know if he was an old man. I think it's likely that he was because he's pretty much ready to die after he sees Jesus. But he's in prime position and, he, and he's waiting. And he came in the spirit into the temple. He was prodded by the Holy Spirit I should go to the temple today. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he's in the temple and he sees a young family with a, a son who's 40 days old. And there's something about this family that draws him to them. He senses that the Spirit is working for him to approach him. And, and here is this presumably aged man, and he just asks, Can I hold your baby? <laughs> they were much more trusting back then. You didn't have kids on the back of milk cartons. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He just realized that a prophecy has been fulfilled. He was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Christ. And now he is holding this child and he says, I can go in peace now. I have seen your salvation. The one who is going to bring about the deliverance of Israel. And then he says something kind of shocking to a Jewish audience. Verse 31, that you have prepared for the presence of all peoples, plural. Now remember, when you're under the yoke of Rome, the Romans are the enemy. They are the problem. We're looking for the redemption of the Jews, and you're talking about prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He's going to shine, this child that he's holding is going to shine the light 
that leads to the way of righteousness to the Gentiles. He's going to help the Gentiles walk out of darkness. Now, if you're a Jew, you thought the Gentiles were the darkness, that you're to be delivered from the Gentiles, not to deliver the Gentiles from some other entity. But Simeon prophecies that God will rescue the Gentiles. He will rescue the Gentiles from the darkness that pervades this present world, right? And darkness, I mean, that is just such a prescient way of describing evil, isn't it? Being in the darkness. There's a reason why people are scared of the dark. I mean, there's darkness in India in, in the slums where children are trafficked and forced into prostitution, right? right? There's darkness in Afghanistan where if a Christian can, person converts to Christianity, they are, are executed. I mean, there's darkness in Emporia where you have children who are being raised by addicts and the SRS is on the brink of taking them away. I mean, darkness takes many forms. There's darkness in self-righteousness and thinking that you're holier than other people and that salvation is, for, is to fix other people and not yourself. But in this case, there is a deliverance that's happening where these Gentiles, and this would include the, the person reading this book, Theophilus, is going to be delivered. Secondly, he's also going to be for the glory to your people Israel. Now, the Israelites had a concept of glory. Glory was the, the light that surrounded the Lord. And where the Lord's glory reside, there was the Lord. And, and God decided to dwell among his people Israel. Remember how they built that tent? And he was behind multiple plies of fabric. The glory of the Lord resided there on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And eventually that was transferred to the temple. And when he went to the temple, that's where the glory of the Lord resided. That was where the, the holiest of holy places was. That's where the Lord dwelled. But we read in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, now the glory of the Lord is dwelling in this child. The presence of God is in that child. The glory of the Lord has just returned to Israel, but not in this, on the, in this light that's going to alight on the light of the covenant on the uh, Ark of the Covenant. It's going to return to Israel in the form of this baby. So, in all of this, He's going to redeem Israel. He's going to redeem the Gentiles. He's going to bring in this new age where both the Gentiles and the Jews come together and they'll worship the Lord. As he's holding this baby in his arms, that's what he sees. And his father and his mother marveled as what was said about him. I mean, for those of you who are having children, I mean, what would you think if someone took your child and said he will be president of the United States? will be the starting forward on the Jayhawk National Championship team. <laughs> or some of you are thinking, it'd just be nice if 
He'll be a Christian and employed. We'll take that, right? But in this case, he's going to be the savior of the entire world. And they marvel at this. I mean, this, this, is, this has been quite a, quite a year for Joseph of Mary. But there is more to this. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, there's going to be peace, but peace with a cost. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. So even though Israel was oppressed, many people really enjoyed the status quo. For instance, the, uh, the, the Sadducees basically had their run of the temple. The wealth and the prestige and the power was concentrated in their family. And as Jesus would, would assault the, even having a necessity for the temple, there would go their power and that would lead to their fall. The Romans enjoyed having peace in the empire. And when Jesus begins to be this rival king and, and lead to this movement, this messianic movement, they got nervous and they went ahead and signed off on his crucifixion. The Pharisees were professional protesters. Their, their trade was in pontificating and helping people see their need to change and helping others to see them as the ones who would be the change agents, just follow their teachers. And yet Jesus calls them blind guides, leading the blind. In all of this, Jesus is establishing, is going to attack the established status quo, and they will fall. And as they are falling, they turn on Jesus with murderous intent. But he's appointed also for the rise of many. You look at Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. That's Luke 6, 20 through 21. Right? There are some people who are, who are high, right, who will be brought low because they reject Messiah. And some who are low, but because they accept the Messiah, will, will rise with him and inherit the new kingdom. Those are all the, the promised blessings for those who follow Christ. The son who will bring unity and peace in the messianic age. In this age right now was going to be a source of bitter controversy as he's been appointed for the rise and fall of many. And then Simeon looks at Mary and tells her this. Verse 34. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now before we talk about the parenthetical comment. If we were to re just read the, the rest of it. And for a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus reveals the states of people's heart. As people encounter Jesus he is a stumbling block. He's the fork in the road. When you see the biblical Jesus, you have a choice to make. Surrender to him as your Messiah or, or reject him and perish forever. And sadly, many did reject him. So you have the parenthetical comment. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now Joseph won't live long enough to see this. 
but Mary will. She will watch her country reject their Messiah. She'll watch her friends and neighbors turn on the Messiah who happens to be her son. And she'll be there when he is crucified on the cross. But all that was necessary so that he can pay for sin, pay for the sins of those he means to redeem, rescue them from the ransom of death, and come back and establish a new world. But all the waiting is fulfilled as he just holds this child. And as he's holding this child, another event takes place where we see the second patient prophet, Anna. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Here we have a kind of a rare sight in scripture, a prophetess. It's not many of them, but she joins Miriam, Deborah, Huldah, and Isaiah's wife as, as women who speak for God. They're presumably full of the Holy Spirit, and she utters truths of God that come from him. Now, she is from the tribe of Asher, which is considered one of the ten lost tribes of Israel, which kind of alludes to the fact of a full restoration of Israel is in the future. Now, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Now, the grammar is kind of vague on this. There's two options. Either one, she is 84 years old, or, get this, she was a widow for 84 years. Where if she got married at 13, lived with her husband for seven years, she would be 104 years old. And you think, nobody lived that long. Well, there's a contemporary of hers called Judith the Devout who lived till the age of 105. Now, when we see somebody who lives a long time, right, we often regard them as, let's say, frail, not all the way there. I'm just saying cultural stereotypes here. Many of you are not frail and you're all there. But you know, the regard of, of the elderly in the ancient Near East was one of tremendous respect. Because one, the favor of God must be on them because they lived a long time. And two, they must be full of the wisdom which comes with age. And so by mentioning her heightened age is she is favored by God, she is wise, she's also full of the Holy Spirit, and she was <clears throat> not departing from the temple, but worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So again, she had no official capacity. She would enter into the court of the women. They segregated the temple. Women could only go so far. And she was praying and fasting night and day. And depending how you look at it, if she did this since she was a widow, it's either for 64 years or 84 years. Every day going to the temple. In fact, she practically lived there. So what was she praying and fasting for? Well, fasting was always a form of religious protest. Now's not the time to feast, now's the time to fast. Now's the time to show contrition because not all is right. 
And later on, she, she testifies to those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Right? She looked around the holy city and saw that it was occupied, that things were not as it should be, and she was distressed by it. And so what she did every day for, we'll say, at least 64 years is fast and pray. What comes to mind is, is Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah? He was a, a, the cupbearer to the king, had a very high, prestigious position in the Persian Empire. And when he heard about the plight of Jerusalem, his response is recorded in Nehemiah 1, 3 through 4. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He was in such distress that the capital of Israel, the home of the temple, the throne of the city of David, the throne of David is on the brink of destruction. And so here is Anna, weeping, fasting, praying for the sake of her city. And verse 38, and coming upon, and coming up at the very hour, right, when Simeon was holding the baby, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She is giving thanks because she realizes that the redemption of Jerusalem is going to happen. Proof positive is seen in the baby who is in her presence. Now, what's the longest you've ever prayed for anything that you've seen realized? You know, kind of looking back, I prayed for my dad's salvation for about two decades, and the Lord honored that, and that was a time of rejoicing. But can you imagine praying for something for 64 years or 84 years? And what it must have been like in that moment where after decades upon decades of praying and fasting, the Lord finally said, look, there he is. That's the new king. That child over there is going to grow up to become the Messiah. He's going to reign on the throne of David He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring in this new age. And naturally, she would give thanks. The weight paid off. Then moving on, verse 39 through 40, and when they had performed everything according to the law, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Right? The two testimony of the prophets pointed out that this one is the Messiah. This one is favored by God. And what's interesting is they just saw the baby and that would be it for them. It's kind of a process of hurry up and wait. You think about uh, Zechariah who had to wait a long time before he got to enter into the temple to serve. Think about Elizabeth who had to, to wait way past childbearing years to have her child. There's a lot of waiting that's going on. 
But then in these chapters 1 and 2, we see the Lord answering prayers, answering the longing of, of the hearts of the righteous to send the promised Messiah. And all they see him, all they see of him is him as a baby, but in human form. And it's enough to just see that, to know that it's all true, it's all real, that their patience has paid off. Now, we have more than a child, right? We have the testimony of Scripture. We have that child who grew up, lived the life that was prophesied, died the death, and then was resurrected. And we are told that he's going to come again, and then our patience will be paid off. We do see the sign. They saw a baby. We have a much greater and richer testimony, even if we don't have the 3D experience. But as we're waiting, there's some things that they did that are worth replicating. And as we're waiting for that, that great day, and we ask, how long, O Lord, what do we occupy ourselves with? Well, from Simeon and Anna, there's really kind of three, three words. There's piety, prayer, and perspective. Piety, prayer, and perspective. You see, as they're waiting for the Lord and asking, how long, O Lord, they were pious. They were devoted to keeping the law, worshiping God, and living out their commitment to the Lord. Right? When you ask the question, how long, O Lord, you're basically asking the Lord to, to fix what's wrong with this world. You're asking the Lord to remove those evil entities that are opposed to, to the Lord and his people. And often when we see that uh, prayer given and the Lord intervenes, that salvation is accompanied by forms of judgment. You look at the Exodus, right? They're oppressed for 400 years. They ask for deliverance. God sends a deliverer, and the deliverance is accomplished by 10 acts of judgment on Egypt, with the final act of judgment being the death of all the firstborn sons. And then the Lord delivers them, right? And as they're about to, you know, they cross through the Red Sea, the Egyptian army comes behind them, and then in another act of judgment, the sea closes on them, and they perish. Throughout the judges, right? They are in trouble from the Philistines. God raises up a, a judge, to judge the Philistines, to judge the enemies of his people. When we pray, thy kingdom come, and we're asking the Lord to come back, if you read Revelation, you know that there's going to be a lot of violence when that happens. There will be some extreme acts of judgment. And the reason why is because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And people in an unredeemed state will be judged in very painful and torturous ways in the future. And so you look at the cry of many people who long for justice, right? Social justice is all the, all the rage. I remember watching an NFL game and on the football helmet, I would see stop hate. Good luck with that, right? Do you know how you stop hate? You get rid of all the haters. And how do you think the Lord is going to do that? 
well, they'll be consigned to God's wrath forever. And so if you're saying, how long, O Lord, and deliver us, and you're not righteous, and you're not pious, and your life is not right with the Lord, you're basically asking the Lord to, to judge you, and in your self-righteousness, you think that that judgment's for other people and not you. you know, only those people who recognize that they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, they understand that they actually deserve justice and they deserve wrath, who understand that Jesus, when he died on the cross, absorbed the wrath in their place. Only those people who turn to him in faith and repentance will escape the judgment to come. Just like only those in Israel, only those firstborn sons, when they killed the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, only then did the judgment escape them. Right, if you're going to ask how long, O Lord, and ask God to make things right, you need to make sure that you are right with the Lord. Okay, that's number one. You need to be pious. Number two is to commit yourself to prayer. I look at Anna, and she didn't have a lot to commend herself, right? She wasn't strong. She wasn't powerful. She wasn't necessarily well-connected. She wasn't from a, a, a legacy family, right? She was from the tribe of Asher, one of the lost tribes. But Anna knew a guy. <laughs> she knew a guy. She knew somebody who could make things right. See, a lot of times there's a, there's a tendency when there's problems to try to solve the problem. We might resort to activism of some sort, try to take matters into our own hands, try to relieve suffering by our own means. And prayer just seems like um, just a little ritual that we put on something to say that, yeah, we prayed about it. As opposed to really earnestly praying and asking the Lord in a sustained way to bring about this transformation. I mean, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's basically asking God's kingdom come from heaven to earth. And, and that happens in, in small ways, but we basically are praying for an invasion. For a, a, another D-Day where the Lord will come back and make this world as it should be. We can't make that happen, but we can ask the Lord to do it. This means that we pray in a pious way. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. So when you pray, how long, O Lord, you pray as a pious soul asking the Lord for his intervention. Then finally, there is a perspective. You know, God's kingdom will come, right? You pray, how long, O Lord? Well, when is that going to happen? Well, 2 Peter 3, 7 through 8 um, gives some perspective on this. He says, but the same word, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Again, when the Lord returns, it will be a time of judgment. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. I mean, it's going to happen at some point in time and you could say, well, it hasn't happened for 
2,000 years, well, that's just a weekend for the Lord. It's not that long for Him. It is coming. It is promised. And it will happen in His, in his time. In the meantime, we wait. And as we wait, it's important that we're waiting for the right thing. And that is the return of the Lord when He will make all things right. Because as we wait, there's just going to be kingdom after kingdom kind of rolling through this world. And some will be better than others. But in the end, our hope can't be in a change of regime. You think about Poland at the dawn of World War II. A secret clause between the Russians and the Nazis divided it in two. And the Russians occupied the eastern half of Poland. And during that occupation, they rounded up 14,000 officers and members of the intelligentsia, took them to a forest, and shot and murdered them all. And you would think during that time that when the Panzer started rolling in, thank God we're saved from the Soviets by the Nazis. Well, the Nazis came in and committed further atrocities. And then the Red Army began to surge and they would think to themselves, wow, thank God we're saved by the Nazis, by the Soviets. Well, eventually the, the Soviet Empire fell and now they're enjoying relative peace, but it's all relative. Who knows what will happen in the future? Uh, the fact is, no kingdom on this planet will live forever and no one is really safe. Kings come, kings go. Sometimes we have reprieves, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we see a good and righteous thing happen and by all means rejoice in that, but that can't be our hope. We can't be satisfied for the, by the status quo and just accepting this world for all that it should be. Our minds are to be on, on things above, looking for the hope to come. And when I look at these two patient prophets, you see that they sustained in their devotion to the Lord by a firm belief that one day they will be vindicated. Right? And our vindication won't come in an election. It won't come in a Supreme Court decision, right? The final vindication will come when we see Jesus face to face. It might come when he comes back for all of us. It might be when some of us leave this planet and we stand in his presence. But at some point in time, his kingdom will come. And are you patiently waiting for it? Is that the focus of your hope? Is that the longing of your heart? Are you nurturing those thoughts, reinforcing those thoughts, encouraging others with those thoughts? Because that's where the real hope lies. You see, I mean, this world's flawed. We know it. Everybody knows there's something wrong. Well, we'll ultimately fix it. Well, it's going to be the baby that was held by Simeon. He grew up to become a man who died on the cross, was resurrected, and then ascended into heaven. And one day, he's going to come back. And when that happens, all of the patient brothers and sisters in Christ will have their faith rewarded. 
and they'll see that their patient paid off, patience paid off because their time had finally come. So let's pray for that to happen. Well, Father, we come before you. We live in a, in a world that is fallen, in a world that um, is opposed to you and opposed to your people and, and frankly is often opposed to us. Lord, there's many ways that we can go. But Lord, we pray that we will choose the path of patience, that we will trust in you to make all things right. And Lord, to the degree that we can, I pray that we will seek to bless our neighbors and, and seek to bring righteousness and gospel hope to all who will hear. But I pray that we'll follow the example of, of Simeon and Anna of being fervently devoted to you, practicing piety and, and prayer and just having the perspective that someday you will come and that we'll live in light of that awesome reality. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.